In the Gospels, Jesus asks his disciples an important question. Who do you say I am? Over 2,000 years later, this question continues to reverberate in the human heart. Some have only given this question a cursory thought. Others have spent years pondering the answer, searching the scriptures and looking for evidence. This spring, Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry team with researchers and experts who have studied the Shroud of Turin to once again pose Christ's question to you. Who do you say I am? Welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Sewing Hope. I am Bill Snyder. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us here on Patchwork Heart Ministry YouTube channel, uh, Facebook, however you're finding us. We really do uh, thank you for tuning in to the Patchwork Heart Ministry family of channels and media. Know you can always head over to patchworkheartradio.org uh, for more information about us. Send us an email, uh, sewinghope, S-E-W-I-N-G, at patchworkheart.org is our email. So check it out. Uh, and right now, though, we're in the middle of I think it's smack dab in the middle of a uh, episode or a series of episodes on Catholic parenting. I'm always joined by my good friend and co-host, Anne DeSantis. Anne, how are you? Doing great, Bill. I love this series, and it's good to be here with you again. It is. It is. And yeah, we're in that uh, age bracket. I think we said like six to eight, right? So that uh, sweet spot of First Communion. Yes, we are. And I like the fact that with this series, and by the way, the name of this series is, is um, a, it's our parenting series, 10 part series with Sewing Hope podcast. So be sure that you listen to all those other episodes because we're up to episode four. We spent quite a bit of time with the early life, didn't we, Bill? I mean, with infancy and toddlerhood and kindergarten. And yeah. now here we are at ages six to eight. And so I don't know about you, but when I hear that, age bracket, I think of things like receiving their first reconciliation and their first communion. Yes. And so as a parent, it's a busy time. It really is. It's a busy time when you're preparing your child, because for some parents who work or have other things going on, you know, a lot of times with church, there's meetings that you have to attend and, and just the preparation for your child. And then of course, when your child is getting dressed up for First communion, right? You need to prepare that way too. And that's an exciting thing is buying that first communion outfit. So I don't know if Bill, you had any thoughts on, on these two sacraments and, and maybe what they meant to you growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a funny story about my first reconciliation that I'll share with you, um, which, you know, but they mean so much. I think that's something that, um, you know, is so important for us to touch on and that, they mean so much to us. And um, when I was 
preparing for first reconciliation and going to first first reconciliation that that night um, at my parish. Um, you know, typically it's in the the you know winter or fall um, before you make your um, first communion a few months later in the spring, right around May. Um, you know, kind of right around this time, and so. Um, when uh, when I was making my first reconciliation, uh, I was the very last person in line. You know, you had the little um, group examination of conscience, and you had the um, you know communal prayer, act of contrition, all that stuff. You did it together, and then you went into individual confession. I think that's called the you know, right two, right? It's of the of the reconciliation. There's right one, which is just private. Then you have right two, which is, um, you know, a communal penance service followed by individual, um, you know, confession of sins. And so here I am, uh, the very last kid in line. And uh, I, everybody else was gone, right? Um, and the pastor of the parish, uh, Father Ambrosi, uh, comes over. And, you know, he's done hearing confessions. And there was another priest there hearing confessions as well. And he was new to the parish, uh, Father Joe. And so Father Ambrosi comes over and Father Ambrosi says, I'll hear your confession. I said, no. I looked at him square, square in the eye. I said, no, I want that guy to hear, <laughs> hear my confession. <laughs> and, and he was like, he looked at me and my mom and my dad were like, what? Um, no, I want the new guy. I'm waiting for the new guy. Uh, and, and so, and so Father Ambrosi left and uh, waited uh, for Father Joe. And so Father Joe came all the way down off the altar. This was at St. Pat's in Malvern. Uh, he comes all the way down off the altar and he goes, you're the last one. And I said, yes, I'm the last one. And he, and he walked up with me. Uh, and my parents are telling him how, um, <laughs> how I was waiting for him. But he was such a young, joyful priest at the time. He was right out of seminary. Um, and all of that, he was a brand new baby priest and all those things. He had just been placed at our parish. And so, um, <laughs> so I'll never forget that he laughed through my entire first confession because he was chuckling that, that, you know, the, you know, the pastor, <laughs> the, uh, the older priest didn't hear the confession. I was waiting for him. So he was literally just laughing through my entire first confession. And, uh, there was so much joy um, and, and I mean, I'll never forget it. Right. Like he, I, to the point where um, I had run into him some years later, I was uh, discerning priesthood and looking at stuff in the Philadelphia Archdiocese for that. And um, he, he and I in the, were in the car alone. This was years later. I was a I was a, I was a high schooler. And and I said to him, you know, Father Joe, I, I just want to thank you <laughs> and he goes, for what? And he said, my first confession was an amazing experience. And, he, and very quickly, he said, you know, I can't remember that stuff. <laughs> and, um, and, and I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Like, you know, he had heard, you know, thousands and thousands of, of confessions. Right. Um, but but it was so, but it was special to me. Right. And so he was just he was just like, oh, wow. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm so happy that 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 was a good experience for you. And so, um, you know understanding that um the grace of the sacrament is awesome that we can have joy in confessing our sins and we can tell um you know our our sons or our daughters you know if, if they're comfortable with the confessor 
go with it. You know, don't you don't have to go to some you know priest you don't want to go to. Go to the people you're comfortable with, um, and make it an occasion of joy because it is one. That's right. I love that story. You know, and it's good that you're telling this, Bill, because guess what? This is like this is being taped. So this is something that years later. Uh, little Elvin and your kids can listen to. <laughs> yeah, for certain. <laughs> right. That's good. That's good. But I mean, I think this is great that we're doing this podcast because this is really one of the most special times of your child's life. Let's face it. I mean, ages six to eight. So figure we're talking about anywhere between like, like maybe late kindergarten to that second grade or so. And so, and even possibly for some kids, um, maybe even going into that third grade. Um, and so they are really those sacramental stages. There are those stages of receiving the sacrament of penance and first Holy Communion. So um, just talking about preparing for the sacrament of penance, um, I would say that there's some wonderful resources online. And I know from even some of the authors that we've interviewed here on Sewing Hope with Perpetual Light Pub Publishing too, and some others, uh, just getting, giving your child that knowledge to know, you know, what is sin and how do I offend God, you know? And, and so uh, maybe this podcast is too short for us to unpack that completely, right, Bill? I mean, yeah. it's, it might take us too long to go through all of that, but I would just say, definitely check with your own parish, check online, and check with our friends at Perpetual Light Publishing who've written books about this yeah. for, for children and, and that age group. But in preparing for First Holy Communion, obviously, the biggest gift of our faith is just instilling in your child really that love of knowing and understanding that you're receiving Jesus, mm -hmm. that body, blood, soul, and divinity. And for me, um, now, of course, I've received communion quite a long time ago, right? Um, I, I remember that whole feeling and also the actual receiving of Jesus on my first communion. And for me, I was very nervous because I really did believe, and I still do, that this was receiving Jesus. And I remember back then, of course, I received my communion back in the early 1970s, a long time ago, but there was no receiving on the hand at that time. So everyone had to receive communion um, for the first Holy Communion at that time uh, on the tongue. Sure. And, and I, I remember that whole idea and being taught that you weren't even supposed to like chew it. Basically you, the host was to be kind of like melt in your mouth to a point of, you know, finally being careful not to actually, you know, use your teeth when you were receiving, because this is Jesus. And it was like, you were savoring that time that you were receiving. I don't know, Bill, if that rings a bell for you too, but that was what on my recollection of, of first Holy communion and how special that was. Yeah. I think, um, you know, certainly between, um, the 1970s and the 1990s, uh, a lot of changes happened. Um, but I think the one thing that was always, you know, present was the fact that this was Jesus, uh, in our formation and, um, in both of our formations. Um, so while, um, I mean, I have, heard different things about chewing the host and all of that. Um, but, but the, the reverence in your heart is I think the most important thing. Um, and being able to instill that and teach your child that, um, that's, that is, uh, the, the most important thing 
that you can possibly do uh, in life really is, is, you know, give them a good centering on Eucharistic theology. Yes. And I think too, this is the time ages six to eight, that it's not, um, it is, it is obviously, it is all about penance and first communion, but it's also a love of the sacramental life, right? It's the love of the beginning of that because they don't remember their baptism. Right. So, but they will remember most likely their first penance and their first communion. Oh, certainly. And so, and, and it's also an introduction. I think it's a perfect time to teach them. And obviously when your child is, is involved in a catechesis at church, whether it be Catholic school or what we call CCD or prep class, whatever that is, uh, we used to call it at my parish, uh, REC, which was religious education class. Um, but learning the fact of those seven sacraments, what they mean and how you know, receiving that first communion won't be the last sacrament, right? That won't be the last sacrament that, that you'll receive. Um, I pulled up an article also, I thought for all of you listening um, to check out, it's called 10 Ways to Prepare for Your First Communion. And it's from catholicexchange.com. And they really do literally give 10 ways to prepare. And I'm just gonna read through them and maybe make some comments here um, to give you help now, I think the article is written not only for children, but really for anyone receiving the First Communion. And the first thing it says is that one of the first ways is to prepare is just to have faith. And it says that faith, like a seed planted in the ground, may our faith grow, blossom, and flourish until we reach heaven. And, and simply teaching your child, right? Teaching your child that what they're doing isn't about just the party, right? It's not just about having that nice a communion party or dinner or celebration or wearing the communion outfit or dress, but it's about celebrating your faith because your faith is something that will carry you through your entire life. Um, next one is two is number is to appreciation, appreciation of your faith. And it, it really is something to wonder and think about and teach your children that having an appreciation for the Holy Eucharist, right? Because as some of us know who are listening to this podcast, it's not, not all Catholics believe in the real presence. And so having that appreciation and teaching your child the appreciation. Um, number three on this list of ways to prepare for your first communion is to clean house. And namely, that means making a good sacramental confession. And it says that the saints in the church teach us that the cleaner and more pure the soul, the more abundant the graces in receiving Holy Communion. And it says, if you like a dirty glass um, pane, it prevents the sun from entering the room fully. Likewise, a dirtied or sullied soul will block the full and powerful presence of the Eucharistic Lord in his entirety from inundating the soul. And you know, you can teach kids that too. Kids can be taught that we all sin, right? No matter what age. And I remember years ago, um, Someone had said to me, who happened to be a relative of mine, had said that they didn't think that kids at that age sinned. And, um, and I think that's really something for us to think about, because when we look at the Ten Commandments, they might not be sinning in terms of certain ones that we see, like maybe the Sixth or the Ninth Commandment, but they certainly sin in their lives. I think we all do in terms of just the way we relate to other people, disobeying mom and dad. I mean, so there are sins that they can do even at that young age. And um, Bill, I'm just reading here, as we know, um, this list of 10 ways to prepare for your communion. 
uh, maybe I'll just go down the rest of the list yeah. and we can talk about them, is number four, it says to come early. And I think what it's referring to in this article, meaning that when you go to mass, after you receive that first communion, go to mass early, get there early and prepare yourself, right? It's, it's sometimes when you walk into church and you know you got there just in the nick of time, you don't have too much time to think about the fact that you're going to be receiving the Eucharist. Mm. Uh, number five on this list is reverence. And these are things we can teach our kids, right? Oh. To have that reverence in front of the uh, the blessed sacrament, teaching them also about maybe perpetual adoration and how they can visit an adoration chapel and that that's Jesus in the real presence as well. Number six is intentions. And that would be that to, to teach your kids that the parish priest usually has specific intentions in every mass. And so that you can offer a mass um, for the person that the mass is being said, but also in your own heart, right? You can offer that mass when you're there for people that you know, and for the receiving of your communion, when you receive it for the conversion of sinners for personal conversion. So these are all things that we can continue to teach our families and, and young children too, and then participate, right? We're teaching our kids that when they go to mass, that they are a part of that mass. They are participating. They're what we call assisting, right? Assisting at mass. And so we're not called, it says in the article, to be passive observers as if it were a play, a show, or an opera. <laughs> I know one priest at mass one time said that, that it's not a show. And, and I do believe and, and totally agree with that statement. Um, just a few more here on the list here of ways to prepare. It says having a Marian apart is that you're inviting the Blessed Mother too, right? You know, the Blessed Mother is the mother of the Lord and our mother. And when we receive him, you know, we can also pray to her too. You know, we use that prayer of the, or the, the rosary and our Hail Mary in order to get closer. And our yes and our amen is also an imitation of Mary, isn't it? When we say amen, we're imitating her too. Um, the ninth on this list is Thanksgiving teaching our kids that communion is a Thanksgiving. I mean, that word itself, right? The Eucharist is a Thanksgiving. It's a meal we're receiving is body, blood, soul, and divinity, and that there's no greater gift that we can receive. Um, and the last one on this list, I'm almost done here. Number 10 ways to prepare for communion is um, be a Eucharistic apostle. Apostle. So once we receive the Eucharist, right? We're, we're a disciple, we're an apostle with Christ to telling others about what we've received, right? We become what we receive, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And so I think these are great points. If anyone wants to go to this article again, 10 ways to prepare for your communion at catholicexchange.com. Bill, I didn't know if any of those spoke to you, any of those points. Oh, absolutely. I think that first of all, that's a great list. And, um, you know, we'll try and stick that down in the show notes for you folks. So you can click on that and, you know, use it as a reference guide for, for you, I mean, there's so many great pointers uh, all throughout that list. I, I you know, for, for me, I think there's um, something you kind of mentioned in, in the last one that we're supposed to go. You know, I was uh, teaching confirmation class a couple weekends ago at my, um, in my parish, and we made a point of telling the candidates that uh, it's all about leaving. Mass is all about leaving. The word mass is, you know, comes from the, the phrase in the liturgy at a misa est, which means it is ended time to go. Now you're sent out, you're sent forth to go out and, and do more, you know, for the Lord, it's this coming together. It's this, it's this gathering, receiving the, 
the the Lord in community and then going out to the people, to the world to change it. And so I think that is why the mass is so important for young people is that it's a moment of gathering for, for, for children to realize and to know this is a moment of gathering. And then I am called to go out and live this every day. And I think that, that speaks back to the, the sacrament of reconciliation too. When you're talking with students or your children about this, right. To talk about that, you know, these sacraments are meant to be used every day. So every day or every week so that, and, and as frequently as we can receive them without abusing that, right? Like the church sets forth some guidelines, like we should only receive communion once a day and not abuse, you know, the, you know, that grace or understand that we've, you know, gotten more grace, you know, for going 12 times in one day to mass or something like that. Um, you know, we, we got to be aware of that, but, you know, and not to abuse the, you know, the liturgy in that way, but to understand and instill kids that this is about, you know, the rest of your life and and these moments that we come together to receive the power of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, um, you know, and the mercy of, you know, Jesus Christ in confession, then we go out and we live it, you know, to the best of our ability in all the other moments of life. And so, yeah, you know, this is about leaving. Mass is all about leaving at a Misa Est. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I, uh, I'm totally on board. And I think that it is a great list to share with uh, folks. And we'll make sure we include that in the show notes so that you can uh, grab it and, you know, use it with your children as you're preparing them. If you're at this age group, and even if you don't have children, this age group, you got grand, you know, your grandparent, um, or, you know, whatever, uh, I think we could always delve into Eucharistic theology more, right? Like there's, there's never a bad time to pull over somebody, you know, that's going through the faith or going through a trial and just reminding them of the mercy of God and confession and the Eucharist. I mean, you know, these things, um, you know, transcend, you know, the, the first, right. They should be many communions. So, um, you know, if you're beyond that age, you don't have kids that age. Like my kids, not, uh, you know, my son's not at that age yet. Um, but there are things I'm thinking about and preparing for and teaching and instilling, uh, as, as that grow, as he grows up. Um, so yeah, this has been, this has been great. And, uh, so much insightful stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for your insights too. And, you know, it is a going out, isn't it? Just like you said, I mean, it's not, it is about the moment that we're there and the receiving and the prayers and all that we do, but it's a lifestyle. It's everything that we do when we leave too. Right. And so I think teaching kids that is, is just so important, but I would just say, definitely, there are so many beautiful online resources for you who are listening, if you're a parent. And so, I mean, I think simply if you key in Catholic catechesis for first communion or for penance, a lot of great things will pop up that just, you know, be careful the sources. I mean, but I think most of them are usually pretty good depending on where, where you go, especially if you can go to something like the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, usccb.org. There's resources there on, on the sacramental life. 
And so it's, it's just all very, very good. Um, the one thing I want to say before we end, though, too, is that the one memory I have with preparing my own kids for communion is that uh, depending on the family, now sometimes there's a celebration that goes with First Communion, and some families do it as something small with just the immediate family or with uh, extended family, and some, some families do the big, almost the big wedding kind of a thing, um, depending on your family and, and what you do. Um, and I tried to teach my kids that when that was happening, we did, we did somewhere in the middle. We didn't do just the immediate family and we didn't do, do um, the big hoopla with, you know, a hundred people or something, you know, but I think no matter what, it's good to teach your kids that connect whatever kind of celebration you do, make sure that it's connected with what just happened. Because sometimes families get too carried away. They can get too carried away with those outward things, right? The beautiful first communion dress for your daughter or the nice white suit that your son has on or the celebration and pleasing grandmama, grandpop as they are inviting their friends there too, whatever, you know, but I think just remembering what the celebration is all about um, because, you know, sometimes it can get a little carried away depending on, depending on the family, right? Bill, I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, um, but sometimes just centering it on what just happened and not so much all of the fancy stuff that goes in between too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If that makes yeah. sense. Yes. 100%. And, you know, I think uh, one of the things that, I mean, I mean, you also have, uh, you know, two beautiful girls. And so, I mean, of course the dresses and all that stuff, I mean, you know, I think you can probably speak to that uh, and you did a great job doing that, but, Thank you. Um, you know, understanding that, you know, this party, that if you're going to have a party um, afterward, probably doesn't need to include a bouncy house or, you know, a bunch of like, I mean, you know, like, like it's not a birthday party, you know what I mean? And, and so um, at least in my opinion, you know, as you said, you know, kind of keep it in conformity with what, what we know, what we just celebrated. Right. Um, you know, it, and, and it should be um, a, a beautiful uplifting moment uh, for your child. Uh, I, I remember at the party that I had for my first communion, I still have the ring. My dad, gave me he gave me a gold ring with an s embroidered on it right um and it obviously doesn't fit me anymore my, my hands have grown much bigger than when i was seven but but i look at it and i'm able to give that to my son you know now and be able to pass that on to my son um you know so you know there's those moments of, of you know and it's a blessed by the priest and all those things so you're able to just you know kind of pass these things and traditions on um you know uh, it's a good opportunity to buy, uh, you know, your child a first communion rosary, or it's a good opportunity to get them. Um, you know, one of my friends has a, a real a passion for getting the Roman Missal, right? Like, you know, they, you know, they sell the Roman Missal that has all the readings of, of the day for each mass in it. And, um, you know, he said, you know, buy that instead of the Bible, because if they're going to start going to mass, they're able to have all the scripture readings, all the prayers of the priest. They're able to follow along in the liturgy. Will they understand it at age seven? Probably not all the way. But man, when you turn, you know, in your confirmation years or later in life, you open that book and you go, wow, I, I, I now have this treasure trove of all the readings at mass. I have all the prayers. I have all the words. I can truly follow along and participate like we were talking about, right? Like this is a full active and conscious participation. Um, and so, you know, they're going to remember that day. They're going to remember what you pass on to them that day. 
Um, and so, you know, save the bouncy house for the next birthday. Yeah, yeah, good point. I just had to say that because I do remember that that was sort of a thing, right? It was a thing that when I was preparing my kids, that was like, we didn't want it to become a secular celebration. We right. wanted to make sure that it was stayed of what it was, the mm -hmm. celebration of the Holy Eucharist. And that, as you said, not a birthday party. Right, and so right now, <laughs> no, thank you, Bill. Thank you. This has been great. Yeah. Now I want to say next podcast, we'll be doing ages nine to 12. And of course that will include preparing for and the sacrament of confirmation. And then we'll have a whole podcast on teenage years. So we got more to come, more great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and actually, I think we'll probably cover confirmation twice because it's incredible. And the Archdiocese of Philadelphia is one of the only dioceses that still does it at that age. Um, and out here in Milwaukee, we don't, we're not allowed to confirm our bishop won't confirm anybody before the age of 16. So oh, okay, we'll um, do it in both then. We'll yeah, so we'll do it in both preparation and, and also receiving. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, um, you know, it, there, there's some beauty in it. I received uh, first, first, uh, I received my confirmation when I was in sixth grade, um, much, much like, uh, you know, I was 11, 12, whatever. Um, and then the kids I prepare for confirmation are 16. So it's a vastly different experience, um, than what I grew up with. So, uh, it's certainly something that we'll cover in a couple different episodes, but folks, we really thank you for tuning in as always, uh, you know, like friend, follow us on social media, um, sewing hope or hope sewing um, on Instagram and Twitter. But uh, yeah, we thank you. Uh, thank you, Anne. It's always awesome to spend the air, to share the airwaves with you. You too, Bill. Looking forward to next time. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, until next time, keep beating to your Catholic heart and sowing hope into those broken hearts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sewing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or andesantis2. In the Gospels, Jesus asks his disciples an important question. Who do you say I am? Over 2,000 years later, this question continues to reverberate in the human heart. Some have only given this question a cursory thought. Others have spent years pondering the answer, searching the scriptures and looking for evidence. This spring, Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry team with researchers and experts who have studied the Shroud of Turin to once again pose Christ's question to you. Who do you say I am?